You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paul Pierce is the mother truth. Knocks it down! Celtics win! 50 points for Jason Tatum! Brad, any final words of advice for the new coach? Win! It is possible! It is possible! Hello and welcome back. It's another episode of Celtics Strong. We've got our main man, Steve, in the house and frequent guest on the pod, Mr. Corey O'Brien, reporting in from Massachusetts. Is that correct, sir? You are in Massachusetts, in the land of the Celtics. Well, it's great to have boots on the ground. We're in three different places recording today, Um, but someone actually from Mass as a frequent collaborator. Always great to have you on the pod, sir. Yeah, great to be here, man. Excited to jump into talking about this season. Absolutely. And that is exactly what we're here to do, right, Steve? We want to check in at almost exactly the midway point. And the Celtics stand atop the standings of the whole league, uh, starting very hot and continuing strong uh, despite a small skid. So at number one in the whole league, by a little bit and by a couple of games over the Brooklyn Nets, they just beat our Boston Celtics remain favorites. So uh, started as favorites, remain favorites. But moreover, a lot in this season has been interesting up and down. It's a lot to talk about. So let's get right into it, guys. All right. Boston Celtics. So very strong start, obviously, and uh, immediately... I think helping with the uncertainty of the last minute coaching change, right? Um, and an amazing offense, uh, the number one offense for the first month plus. So, yeah, it was fascinating to see that. And, you know, we could just kind of start there at the beginning of the season and they just come out smoking teams offensively. And I guess with the absence of Time Lord and the addition of Brogdon, and just the 
not only the addition of Brogdon and, you know, others, but moreover, sort of the gelling, therefore, of their rotation and how deep that was. Uh, pretty crazy to see what they were doing initially with this historic sort of level of offense. Yeah, those first, what, 26 or, or the 21 and 5 through those first 26 games. I mean, um, yeah. obviously the shooting was historic. Uh, and I think I think even the most optimistic Celtic fan thought maybe that shooting wasn't wasn't as sustainable throughout the year. Um, well, maybe the most optimistic fan would say, yeah, this is us. We could, we're just a 40% shooting team. But, you know, we knew it would go back, regress to the mean a little bit. Um, obviously, they crashed for those, like, 15 games where everybody was down. Yeah. Um, but I think they're learning to win again without, like, being a historic shooting team. Now they're just a good shooting team, and they're and they're rolling with it. Um, but it was fun to watch them play five out without Rob. Um, now Rob adds that vertical threat, um, the lob threat. So the vertical mm-hmm. space is there, and they're reintegrating that, and that's been great to see. I think I was worried about Rob coming back – because some of those practice videos were a little like, like they had him in this big knee brace that he looked like an old man. Uh, and then <laughs> game, he was just jumping through the, jumping out of the arena again. So yeah. good to be back and healthy and, and kind of getting the Celtics to reintegrate him into the offense while obviously boosting the defense back to the level that we saw from last year. Totally. And the defense certainly had a far, far way to come initially. Um, Cause it was, sagging pretty low in, you know, efficiency ratings and stuff through those first 26 or so games. But I think everyone, you know, close to the team and around the league really knew, wait, you know, till they get raw back, wait till they get healthy. And unfortunately, they have not been able to stay healthy for any length of this season and now have lost Jalen Brown for what is being said, I think, one to two weeks for an adductor uh, groin strain. So, unfortunately, they'll be without him, though, uh, as we saw just the other night against Brooklyn, um, who is now shorthanded without Durant. Uh, They still have plenty of firepower. Horford has been in and out of the lineup as well for health and probably also some load management um, health, you know, gray area as well. But they have definitely been able to weather the storm um, despite having quite a skid where uh, they think went, what, uh, six and five or even maybe four and six, uh, rather, uh, over a 10-game ten, ten span there for a little while uh, as the shooting crashed. Um, but it has been interesting to see without all of their starters and at least like their top maybe seven guys healthy at once to open up a lot of minutes uh, here and there for people like Luke Cornett, uh, Sam Hauser, um, even the Blake Griffin once a week uh, backup <laughs> center game, <laughs> which is an amazing, amazing thing. Um So it's been great to see, you know, these younger guys or new additions really step up. Uh, Brogdon has looked amazing and has stayed mostly healthy, um, especially, you know, for what the expectation is. And that's been amazing. And just seeing the way that not only in the second unit, but sometimes in closing units, you can have him 
handling the ball and then taking it into the paint. Whereas with Marcus, he's become such an effective facilitator. And when he goes to the paint, I'm still like always nervous. What's going to happen? Is he going to like try to dunk this? Like, <laughs> uh, He just has so much confidence, but not the same skill and smooth moves that Brogdon does. Um, and of course, Grant Williams has really stepped up his drive uh, game. And I think that was a, a pretty obvious now, but, um, you know, a great evolution of his game being such a good spot up shooter is the sort of fake and go and then drive. And he had a couple drives in that Brooklyn game. And he sort of has this signature move where he just, he makes it look easy to get to the rim, but he also falls down at the end and looks for the call. And, um, he's amazing. He's like the new, uh, slightly more trim, big baby. <laughs> he I, just kind of goes barreling in there, but he's like graceful still. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that comp today too for the first time, the big baby comes. Um, so that's funny that you bring that <laughs> up too. But he is, I mean, he definitely, I think complaints per minute really high in the league for that. Really uh, high. Uh, but I, that was one thing that I was I was looking at this year. Um, uh, is is Grant's ability to play around the basket. I think we forget in college that he was a guy that, that was in the paint a lot, you know, he, he, his body made more sense in college to be a paint player. And then we were worried about him being like kind of that undersized tweener um, and not being able to play around the basket. But, but yeah, similar to big, big baby using that weight um, and the, the moves. We'll have to see if he took ballet, like big baby did (laughs) put it past him. It's cool Wayne to see Gretzky. his play. It's cool to see his play not. It's cool to see him not pushing it right because he bet on himself going into the season, hoping to get a big contract. But I, he, he still seems very grounded. That's the thing about him that I love. And yeah, yeah like you were saying, sorry to cut you off, but but like he'll when he's in the starting unit, for example, he there'll be games where he doesn't shoot and he just contributes in other ways, and that's a great point is that he's got that contract coming up he's not looking at his numbers of like i need 10 points you know eight rebounds a game so i thought yeah that's a great point yeah i just the super unselfish and his smarts his his he's his spot he's picking his spots really well and i love just to touch a bit on what eli said we're talking about really awesome things to look at here halfway through the season and and brogdon and how he's sort of settled into this role on this team that really is just so important, I feel, for the evolution of where they were at last year to this year and how that's been able to affect Marcus Smart and and sort of his role in the team and Derek White. And I just think overall, now that we're halfway through the season and Rob is back, I'm really starting to see the shape of this team as they, as they put it together, even though, you know, some people are banged up and I think Tatum is actually like slightly banged up a little bit too overall, but I would say, and I was, <laughs> no, no, he certainly doesn't. Um, but I would say the, the highlights for me would be the additions, the new additions of the team, like Brogdon, the play of, of Williams, of, of Greg and, also, just Tatum and and Jalen themselves this season. I just wanted to ask you guys about that. What have you seen in this first half that's different from last year? 
from the two J's? Well, one thing I've seen, I got, there's two things I've seen and and then I'll throw it to Eli too. Uh, One, their ability to get to the cup is, you know, that they've leveled up from last year and their willingness to go to the paint. um, They had that, but now, you know, it's not, it's not outrageous to say that Jalen Brown's the best straight line drive, straight drive player in the NBA right now. When he gets his shoulders down, he's getting to the hoop. He's like, that's the, all that workout with those workouts with Luke Cornett have really paid off for them. Um, so I think that's been amazing. And then, and it's kind of, they have different skill set in that. Like Tatum is the silky smooth. He's got his bag. And then Jalen just has that extra gear that you can just get to the hoop whenever he needs to. Um, so that's helped when the shooting isn't, isn't great. Cause their shooting is down both for both of them. Um, and then the other thing I think that they've done really well is, um, for a while last year and really through a lot of their career, they weren't, we weren't seeing a lot of passes to, to, to each other, right? Like Jalen and, and Tatum weren't setting each other up. We didn't see a lot of like Tatum and Brown, uh, pick and rolls or anything like that. We're seeing more of that this year. We're seeing Tatum drive and do cross-court passes to Jalen Brown. Um, they're learning how to facilitate each other and 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 make each other better rather than just being two stars that occupy the same court, which I think is really, really great. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you're hearing it from other NBA players, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Luca called him the best one-two mm-hmm. combo in the league. Yeah, they have to be considered um, really that. I said I think there's you know other teams with two stars, but right now, as far as like who's out there playing night after night, there's almost no contest with Jalen's you know elevated scoring and overall still you know fairly efficient, especially on twos. That extra gear they both have now of just like no one's gonna stop me from getting this to the cup. It has resulted in Jalen getting poster after poster, right? And Tatum getting to the line over mm-hmm. eight and a half times a game now. I think it's like 8.6 or something. Um, so it's resulted in, you know, a lot of things. One is just like the obvious scoring, right? And scoring's up across the league as well. Um, so they're kind of, both climbing as you would want them to into this like upper, upper echelon, top 15, both all NBA guys, like both all-stars for sure. I think this year again. So, and what's crazy is just like that. Yeah. This will only be, I think Jalen's second all-star game uh, in his career thus far, which is crazy, but so deserved, and hopefully he comes back just as strong. It sounds like a minor injury. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I think is that, and I have you know heard other people say this as well, not only could they be pretty unequivocally considered the best duo, scoring, two-way players, they've played probably the most minutes of any duo. And so they just have been out there, and Tatum has just become super, super durable, no matter what, like... We know he was hurt in the playoffs. We know, you know, he's probably hurt now, but he's just out there every game. And he's definitely gone to a next level. And, you know, I think a few facets of his game where he's ratcheted it up. But the 
getting to the line, the driving and getting to the line, the driving through contact, the like looking for, you know, the foul and the and one basically. He never did that really prior. And I think he just, and maybe it goes back to the playoff series against the Nets and the sort of passing of the torch with Durant. Like, yeah, I could be the best two-way forward in the league, right? And coming out really strong defensively as well as scoring a lot. Um, and even now, just every single night you watch him, even when he gets like somewhat bottled up and only scores 20, right? He's got like double-digit assists, usually close to double-digit rebounds. He's not complaining all the time anymore. He does complain a little bit, but he's like really maturing, it feels like, into a bona fide superstar and a top MVP candidate. How much of losing the finals last year, you think, played into exactly where both he and Jalen are right now? And they really seem to just energize each other and the team and that's the yeah. one thing i see the most when i watch the team is how they energize each other and sort of lift each other up to motivate each other at certain at certain aspects yeah i was gonna ask you guys about it because what i've seen is a there's a new level of nastiness to their game that mm-hmm. i don't think was there before losing the finals um and i think that you know with both of them Tatum was never the most demonstrative player, um, you know, and at times there could be accusations. Oh, you know, he's not, he, he lacks that competitive drive or something that some of the, some of the greats have. And this year, there's no question that it's there, that that fire's there. Um, you see it just with like the mean mugs they're throwing down, you know, they'll, they'll be flexing on people. They, they want to be the bullies of the NBA right now because they recognize their skill level and their strength just most NBA players can't match. Um, yeah. And so now they, they have that swagger, they have that anger, they have that drive that that maybe was one of the kind of intangibles that I'm sure the, the competitive drive obviously was there, but we weren't seeing it on the court as much. Um, and now we're seeing that on the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed a dynamic of how they looked up to other players like Kyrie and Curry and other, like how you would see them especially in their body language when they'd be like meeting them before, after the game, there seems to be a real shift in that now when they walk out on the court, they do not care. They look like (laughs) assassins out there. And they're just dominating a lot of teams. Like they're, you know, they, as we've said a few times, they had that, you know, stretch that was a little rough, but moreover, those two guys in the core of the team, Marcus Brogdon, Derek White's been super consistent. Grant's been super consistent. Cornette's been great. Pritchard in spots is amazing. He came into that Brooklyn game and was probably the single most effective catalyst for that late run that pushed it out of reach. I mean, he comes in and he just hustles the whole time. And everyone underestimates and sleeps on him because it's the little white guy, right? And they just like drains threes obviously but his hustle on defense his offensive boards he gets all these second chance points because he gets the board and like kicks it out and then gets it back i mean he and Cornette too like Cornette looks so comfortable now this year like playing good you know backup center minutes <laughs> he's just like a lot of teams you know are going so much smaller in this new nba and five out and all these lineups and then the celtics are like We'll go two bigs and one of them seven foot two. 
And he's just dunking. He's reverse alley-oop dunking on Ben Simmons. Cause it's like, you might be six ten in like the, you know, stat sheet, but I'm going to dunk on your head all day. Uh, yeah. It's great to see these, like uh, these role players really uh, stepping up, codifying their roles. I mean, I think, people had hopes for Gallinari and maybe like even more of a role for Blake Griffin when he was the late season sort of, you know, patch there, but really they have gotten such great contributions from who, you know, Cornette and Pritchard ultimately yeah. are like hats off to Pritchard 10, even with everyone yeah. healthy, at least eight, nine in the rotation. And you got to tip your hat to Pritchard because his lim- his minutes are so limited and sparse right? to be able to just come in and stay, stay ready, stay relevant and stay ready. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with Cornette, um, and I know he's, you know, he's the 11th guy or whatever. So it's not, you know, he's not the reason we're winning games, but he is really indicative of um, Brad Stevens team building philosophy and you know, his talent evaluation, which, you know, we haven't seen Brad do very many draft picks or anything like that, but he's able to find <laughs> these guys. Like, you know, all, all pre off season, everyone was like, we need to find another big, we need to find another big. And Brad Stevens kept saying, we like Luke Cornette. We think Luke Cornette's a NBA player. And you know, I don't know about you guys. I didn't see it until this year that, you know, he did not look oh, yeah. like a rotation guy until this season. So credit to, to Brad Stevens and the coaching staff for being able to put guys in the position that they can succeed. You know, Cornette was, was a stretch five his whole career. And he was a stretch five in college. Um, totally. They said, okay, we're, you, you know, you're not going to be a stretch five. You're not shooting threes. Although he did hit that three. Was it the Brooklyn game? That, yeah. Yeah. I felt great for him. Um, <laughs> like you're going to play the Rob Williams role where you're going to be a rim runner. You're going to set those high screens, quick decision-making with the passes. You know, um, that's what where we envision you on the offense. We don't see you as a stretch five anymore. And I don't, I think that if, if they didn't see that, he, there's a good chance he'd be out of the league, you know, um, because they yeah. tapped into a skill set that maybe he wasn't, wasn't being utilized in other places. Yeah. And he's a real rim protector too. I yeah, mean, yeah, man, if they don't have, you know, if like Rob's out, and you've got Horford starting with Grant, let's say, like, no, you know, no one is really a rim protector then. Like, Tatum's, you know, your best rim protector, right? So to be able to put him in and now to have Rob back in the starting lineup, I mean, so many, I've seen so many guys try to drive on Cornette, and he's so long, they're like, oh, I got a couple steps on him, and he's just like, boop, boop, you know, and just blocks the shot easily he's very quick um at that speed like he's he's light on his feet he moves well like it's great to see as you're saying a guy who could have like gotten phased out in the wrong role or you know gone sort of the way of the dinosaur as the Mm. sort of traditional big or backup big and you know that role is like you can't shoot the three probably already out of the league at that size. And since he could, right, he's like still hanging around. But they, yeah, they unlocked something else with him. And he's getting like, what, one to three alley-oops a game now. Like, I feel like he's getting the Rob lobs when he's in there and Rob's on the bench. Yeah, he's been an important piece, especially 
with Rob coming back from injury and with the the load management that they're doing for Al Horford, right? And which we talked about this in our last podcast episode, sort of like how much, how many minutes are they going to be saving for him? And it's it's been considerable, right? Like they they are kind of managing him and want him to be a big piece, saving him, you know, down the stretch. And yeah, they're going to need him, right? <laughs> absolutely. So I think just to recap, like these additions, whether they were internal, like, you know, Pritchard and Cornette, we can even throw, they acquired White midseason last year, sure. Brogdon. I think, I, I would I would have to say, I think that Brad did a really good job of putting a super, really, malleable team around the two J's and Marcus Smart and just sort of giving them all the sort of attributes and tools to succeed and to yeah. take and to take this next step. So I think this is actually a good time to transition to the coaching a little bit, talk about Joe Missoula and what we think about how he's done in this first half of the year. We weren't really expecting him to be the coach at the very, very beginning of the season or right going into the season. And I like him a lot. I like his energy. And I know that there's a considerable amount of criticism going on around how he's managing in-game at times, especially with the timeouts. And I was my main question for you guys is what what is he trying to do with not calling timeout? Like what is the advantage for him as a coach or what? What's the method? If he has a method, what do you think the method to his madness is with just letting the game play and letting the players figure it out? I, I think there's, well, I think there's a couple of things. One is that, is that Missoula has always said he's a math guy, right? He knows, uh, he, you know, I can see him reading basketball studies. Um, and what, what they have found is that timeouts don't actually have much of an impact on momentum. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that I think are is is really it's a really visible part of coaching, calling timeouts and in-game management. So it's something that any fan that's not that, that, that doesn't have the access can say, hey, well, he's he's not calling timeouts when there's a run. This is something that just anyone can see. Um, it's it's a non-traditional way of doing it. Um, so I think that it's easy to to say that a timeout may stop a run. Um, when that might not necessarily be the case. I know that the argument has been, well, they wanted to be able to figure it out themselves for the playoffs. And then in the playoffs, he's going to start calling timeouts. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that he empowers his players to, to kind of figure it out on the court. And part of that might be just because he was so experienced at the beginning of the year, inexperienced at the beginning of the year, that maybe he's thinking there's not much that I can say in this timeout, there's going to be any different than what Jason Tatum is going to, or Marcus Smart is going to be saying on the court. So um, I don't know, like, so I, I don't know strategically whether it, the empowering the players is the right move. I have no problem with this timeout usage. I think it's kind of fun. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, it might be just a combination of a few things. Yeah. I think people really, um, I don't know. It's like the unwritten rules of baseball, you know, like there are these things like coaches, NBA coaches are supposed to call a timeout when the other team's on a run to stop that run. Um, 
But yeah, like as Corey was saying, like the stats might not bear that like calling a timeout during an opponent's run actually stops that run, you know? So there may be some of that where like he knows more than we know, but it is seen as non-traditional. I think that's what people are pushing back against. Now, certain, you know, sports writers may say like, no, I've seen games where like he needed to call a timeout, blah, 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 blah. Like, but no one knows that. And the results are really good. And the position he (laughs) was put in last minute, stepping into this role and having to have, not only like schematically things work out, but having to like have the respect uh, of this team that just went to the finals. Right. And sure he was on that staff, but he wasn't even the lead assistant technically. So it's just a mind boggling uh, situation. And it's, yeah, I think there's a lot of like, you know, couch jockeys and couch coaches, even in the media and Monday morning quarterbacks. Yeah, I don't I don't hear a lot of like bona fide NBA coaches being like, yeah, I don't know. He should call more timeouts. Obviously, he only has the best record in the league, better than my teams, you know, like that. I don't think you'd ever hear that really. But back to that point, you know, he has clearly established his own style and he's put his imprint and thumbprint, you know, however you want to say it, kind of on this team already coming out with this like just offensively amazing team and then you know these unconventional and traditional sort of coaching um coaching theory moves but as we know it's like this league is nothing like the league when you know that was a thing really and maybe most coaches it seems like they do it, but not every coach does that. And um, it's not unheard of. You know, I've heard other people talk about like, well, Phil Jackson did this a lot, especially with his teams that had like won. And the Celtics won the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, and went to the finals. Like they definitely have earned trust to come back in situations. Um, but yeah, I think. Overall, Missoula's done an amazing job, and he seems to be laser-focused on just the task at hand and whether or not, you know, he is affected by sort of like the noise. He doesn't seem to be. seems to be just like really in it. The players seem to really respect him, Um, and it seems to be almost more than, pardon me, Almost more than Ime last year or Brad the last few years where there was some grousing about like respect and did he still have a full hold of the team. The team seems just super bought in this year, um, like unquestionably. And maybe the finals sort of would have codified that under Ime as well. We don't know. But um, all props to Missoula for like stepping into a crazy situation and just guiding them to the expectation being the best team in the league still no matter you know what has happened yeah. injuries and this crazy situation he's yeah. been put in i appreciate you guys breaking that down and i agree with a lot of what you said and moreover he it's interesting because he he's in a way he's kind of soft smoke spoken smaller right he was a guard so he's got that kind of like physicality 
but he does have this edge to him that like he doesn't really take it from the reporters he doesn't really take it you get you just get this feeling like he is not there for anyone but the players on his team and and there's something about that and i wonder if he was just the right man at the right time in this situation that could have really unmoored yeah. another team that did, maybe didn't have the right person to kind of step in there yeah and help get rally these guys together and be like we're no it's about us about you guys let's do this you know and i just whatever his ethos was when he was a college coach whatever his vision for himself if he ever had the opportunity that he must have had like just stepping in it's been just like pure confidence like i just he's extremely confident and and like we said like you know, people are criticizing for no timeouts, but the, or not taking timeouts, but the proof is in the pudding. And he's, he's betting on his team and he's building this bond and building this relationship with them. And they're all, they've all come together around it. And it's, I think, been one of the more impressive things to watch. If we talk about like stories of the first half, just them getting off to the start they did. And like you said, Eli, I'll, I'll repeat what you said. You said laser focused. And that, like, to me, sums up Joe Missoula and it encompasses exactly how he's come right into this season, you know, into this job is just taking this opportunity in this job. Yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been like not just confidence, but but humility as well. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, he would he would come out and say, I don't have all the answers. I I go to my guys, you know. Because there are some instances that they know better than I do in the situation. I think the, I think the players really respected that as well. Um, I think he has a ha- having served under both Brad Stevens and Ime Odoka, he was able to to take from both of them, and those are two great coaches that are stylistically very very different. And you see Joe Mazzulla kind of fits in between those two guys stylistically. I think. Um, I was you know obviously Ime Odoka last year did a great job with the team. Um, and, but my concern with him was always the kind of Buck Showalter effect where hard asses have a great track record of, of getting the teams to buy in for a couple of years. And then that it becomes really hard to, you know, it grinds on them a little bit. Um, Missoula has the edge that, that Ime Odoka has, but he's less of a hard ass. He's more, he's got a little bit of a softer side. It seems like he's, he's a little more open with the players, which I, which I really respect. Um, and I think that's that the players are buying into that um, and kind of seeing, seeing him grow as well with the team. I, I think everyone is just, you know, it's, it's been really, like you said, Steve, it's like, it's really rewarding to watch this team and watch, watch how he kind of processes moments one of the things that he's been doing a lot better recently is after timeout plays, which is what like the Brad Stevens staple was the ATO. They weren't great at it at the beginning of the year, um, but we've seen a lot more wrinkles from him. So strategically he's growing as well and getting more confidence in the X's and O's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of that really fits well with this team. Right. And you think about the sort of core and identity of this team, that's super tough, tough nosed, right? Like 
the run last season where they were the best team for, you know, the final three plus months, that was driven by the defense just going to this historic level. And as we've said a little bit today, but a lot on other pods as well, the stars aren't big personality, you know, the guys sort of yelling at others uh, inherently, and especially Tatum um, being such a soft-spoken superstar in that way. But they have always had like a really sort of hard-working, like gritty Celtics, you know, ethos and core. And I think you look at Marcus, you look at Horford, you look at Grant, you look at the lunch pail guys on the team and the core of the team, the heart and soul of the team is Joe Missoula, right? Like, is this like gritty, tough, but smart, really like physical, really prepared, really like confident, but humble and kind of unafraid, right? And, you know, Missoula didn't, I don't think he played after college, um, but he was known as like a really tough-nosed defensive guard in college. Um, his dad was a coach, which we mentioned um, on a previous episode. And so I think, yeah, like you're saying, it's it's a perfect match for sort of this situation and also this team and this team's makeup, right? Like you were saying, Corey, the sort of best he's really able to to utilize some of the best tactics of both uh, Brad and Ime in being tough, but also more reserved and quiet and letting the players, um, you know, really take, uh, take their lumps and, you know, figure it out. And so, yeah, I imagine there's a lot of situations where the team or the coach like this wouldn't have come off so smoothly. And it's really impressive from both sides. And you just don't hear about anything with the team extracurricular at all period, Mm -hmm. you know, knock on wood. (laughs) Right. And it's just, there's so much noise around other teams. And then even teams that we don't think of as having like a lot of noise, there's always like some noise and this team has had noise in the past, but right now it's like, you know, if they get everyone healthy, then Missoula is probably able to do what he wants to really do and unlock with these guys, bringing this like new level of offense, but the defense back to that, you know, historic level. Yeah. It's unbelievable what I think this team could be under him going forward, assuming we can get all top, you know, 10 guys really talking about going all the way to Pritchard and Cornette, all those guys healthy and playing for Joe as hard as they're playing now. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That would be awesome. Title hopes are are not unrealistic, which is so crazy. Mm -hmm. Back to back rookie head coaches. Let's go. You know, one thing I wanted coaches period. One thing that you said, Eli, that it really made, it really stuck out to me. Made me think is we have talked about how the stars on our, on this Boston Celtics team are not outspoken or they're, they're, they're not your typical, like, NBA superstar, you know, as you, as, as they've been stereotypically. And I wonder if this change of this immediate change of coach with like big personality and email, I mean, that's how I viewed email 
it's kind of like a loud boss real like not totalitarian but just like he seemed to be really you know you noticed he was around he was barking he was telling people what to do and then this shift to missoula with like the different style that like like Corey mentioned lands sort of in between brad and and email i wonder if it's really allowed our stars to sort of like show up and be the kind of stars not that they're now outspoken or like but really kind of like carry themselves in that way and perform that way on the court and for each other i don't know if you guys saw that clip i think it was after the second mavs game when they beat the Mavs after they had lost to the mavs previously and then they beat them the second time and marcus smart in the locker room sort of wanted to talk and and uh called out Jalen for his play and how it had, had like inspired him and i just i just wonder if this more softer like Corey said more personal approach from the coaching standpoint He's letting them be the point of focus and letting them be letting them sort of lead is like precisely what they needed to sort of step up their game. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it has, I think it's, it's, it's also their natural maturation, right. Of now, you know, Tatum being unquestioned top five player, Jalen Brown, top 15. And, and, you know, we talked about that, that loss last year. I think all of those things with the empowerment from Missoula, because yeah, you're you're right. They maybe wouldn't be taking the mantle as as the more vocal leaders if Ime were still the coach. Um, that that's that's definitely possible. Um, I think they're deferring less to Marcus Smart this year as as kind of like the voice of the team. Whereas in the past, when you talk to any when you hear interviews, they they always say Marcus Smart is like the guy that is really our voice. Um, we lead by example. Um, but I do see them, you know, doing more of that. It's hard to see what's going on in the locker room. Um, but on the court, it does feel like they are more vocal leaders. Um, and it, it is, it does feel like this perfect kind of storm of allowing them to step into that role, almost creating a vacuum where they're able to, to step in and, and, you know, pick that up. Yeah. I think you also saw a little bit more of them just personally stepping out uh since the finals loss even like there was a little more visibility into like tatum's social life you know is like out in the hamptons with you know draymond and lebron and was that i think draymond's wedding and he's like dating lmi like you know uh jalen is you know a lot more visible i think just through the growth of his brand juice and um there were a lot of like his water workouts you know videos posted like they were determined i think to not be like ashamed of that finals loss but to use it to like really build both by like building on their game and working super hard but also like showing that they were now like here really and um atop the league and ready to do you know even more so i think it's been a a, a perfect storm in a way and you know 
I remember the opening <laughs> days of the season, everyone's freaking out about like what would happen with the Ime situation. But yeah, it really has in a way maybe been what this group needed to sort of calcify the roles in the Ascension. And it is in my mind sort of because of Hayward's injury and then Kyrie's being Kyrie, these guys were thrust so quickly and so young into the spotlight for the Celtics, you know, this incredibly storied franchise. So this is really when they're supposed to be doing this, you know, neither of them is even 27. That's like supposed to be your peak year. You know, Tatum's like just turned 25, maybe 24 still so young. So I think it's amazing that, yeah, this has all come together and now they have a chance you know, if you add in Rob, who knows, you know, about Grant or some of the other role players, but even like the core that they have now, minus maybe Horford in another year or so, that core could be a top the Eastern Conference for if they stay together five years easily. You know, I don't think that's being ridiculous. And so, yeah, they, I think, know where they're at and that they really have a chance and that. Uh, the league is pretty wide open at the top end right now. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, we didn't know how exactly it would shake out halfway through this season going into it, but it really has <laughs> opened up. I mean, they have the best record by a game or two over, I think, Denver and then Memphis and Brooklyn are right behind. And so they're not like very far ahead as they were. Uh, after the first 26 games or so, but they're still out ahead for home court throughout the playoffs into the finals, potentially. And if they can stay there, I mean, it's going to be pretty hard for someone to beat Boston and seven, you know, on the garden floor. And I think this team has a chance to really like have a stronger home court than necessarily the past few years we have. And um, I just think, the city loves this team. They are going to like really be behind this team in the playoffs. And, you know, once again, it's going to come down to health and we've had a good amount of it though. Certainly not everyone together or uh, great health. But when you look at, you know, Middleton essentially not being able to get back for any stretch and then holiday out, I mean, the bucks have been pretty decimated uh, this season. The, Sixers, I don't know if we even need to talk about their health. No. It's just like assumed <laughs> that they're not going to be a factor when it's important. Yeah. Um, I heard someone we, recently just talking about their backcourt and how just it's so laughable to think that like Harden and Maxi could be your starting backcourt in a playoff uh, series and not just get well, roasted. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely don't need to talk about the Sixers. We could mention Ben Simmons' zero points again um, <laughs> that he put up the other night. But I do think, yes, number one, God, please, can we stay healthy and just go like they, the stars seem everything is lined up. And from what they've been able to do at the gate after their experience last year, I would love to see nothing more than them in the, in the playoffs, hopefully in the finals, getting another shot. I do want to ask you guys what, if anything, you guys might have a better handle on this than me, but what can they do to improve they t- their team? 
slash could slash should they do? Yeah, yeah the, the trade rumor question. questions, the bio market, that kind of stuff. I don't know, man. Eli, do you think that do you do you see any trades out there that any targets out there that that you would want to pick up? I don't know specifically if there's someone who's going to be available, likely um, that I would target per se. There's you know names thrown around and guys that have been in rumors forever. But really, if you think about getting everyone healthy and then what does a potential hole look like? It's like a stretch, you know, five or maybe just like a backup big who can play uh, sort of four or five defensively. Um, because I think Horford is a little bit of a concern for health and age and like he did really wear down after just bodying Giannis for most of that series. And I think the whole team debatably was worn down in the finals. Uh, that, But even just like in the Heat series, and so having Cornette step up is great, but Rob's health, Grant being undersized, Horford's health, there could still be a, a front court uh, sort of defensive body um, who can like defend and rebound, but still you can throw, you know, two in the low post. And I don't know who that would be specifically yeah. um, this season. Like, I'd, like there's no names, but I'm sure some will surface in, in the like sort of buyout um, market. Maybe that happens. I don't think they need to, or think they need to, right. I, would guess, you know, Brad thinks he just needs everyone healthy for long enough to really sort of coalesce. Because even with, you know, Horford and Rob a little bit tenuous on health, I think as we've talked about a little bit, their rotation's so deep and strong. Um, but yeah, there could be a guy that makes sense. And I think because, you know, you asked Steve, it has to just be said that like, that might involve trading someone and they might have to let go of someone in the guard rotation mm -hmm. uh, where they are strong, you know, Pritchard getting pushed for minutes could be, you know, the odd man out in a trade that brings back some value. But I know, you know, they love him. Uh, they really liked Cornette for the minutes they're using him in, but yeah, it could be some sort of like even two for one where they consolidate those guys into a better like big stretch big um but yeah i don't know who that would be really yeah and thinking of that for me i think it'd be they could benefit from a, a big wing potentially um as well similar like like kind of filling the role that we thought gallinari was going to fill um yeah. being able to defend up or you know uh, and and play the wing hit some shots uh, um but you're right, Eli, any trade, it would probably be Pritchard, Gallinari, and maybe a draft pick. Is That's really, like, Gallinari to make the numbers work, the money work. Right. Because he's, I think, the only tradable piece that has any value on, on the team. Um, I don't see them, I don't see them taking out one of the guys that's in the rotation right yeah. now. Um, yeah. Because there's just, there's just not a significant upgrade. If you're talking about guys like Vanderbilt or something like that, Nas Reed or some of the names that they've been kind of tossed around, 
I don't yeah. think that those are enough of an upgrade to move someone who's in the rotation um, already. Um, yeah, and I don't think they'll swing big. Like, no, you know, moving one of those guys anyway. I mean, there's, you know, like maybe a Jeremy Grant becomes okay. available, right? And he could fill a role well. Um, you know, he could actually, because of sort of this team's makeup, be the third scoring option pretty quickly um, and seamlessly. I think that would be, you know, a potential nightmare for other teams. If you had him at the four with Rob at the five, you have Tatum at the three, move Jalen to, you know, shooting guard, and then you can have Brogdon or smart. I mean, that could be a nightmare for teams, but that's a big move. And um, I think, I don't think they'll be remotely that aggressive nor have the assets to get him either. So, you know, with what they could potentially part with more of you're looking to, you know, like buyout or more of like a salary dump guy. Um, but who knows? Like sometimes it becomes surprising who is a seller. Right. And mm. we're sort of, I think there's teams that are teetering and Portland now is one of them. Cause they're on a skid yeah. there's teams that are teetering that, you know, who knows who could become available. You didn't think about that. You're like, Oh wow. Wait, what? Okay. Yeah. For this. All right. That might I, I agree that they're built not necessarily to need to do anything drastic or big or, or anything here. But I also agree with Corey too, that there could be um, some type of way they replace what they thought they were going to get in Gallinari. So, well, that's cool. Any, any, Corey, any last thoughts or any, anything you'd like to see at, from any of the players or anything in the second half? Um, I mean, what, I think one of the things that that's kind of stood out to me over, over the, these last couple of weeks when they've kind of righted the ship um, is thinking about like, like the beginning of the year, they were shooting so well. That they didn't have to worry about anything else. That was like that was like what they were best at, right? They just they just were shooting lights out, and so everything else just was kind of like, all right, well, whatever. We're you know we're just gonna outscore you. And and when they when they dipped, it was when their shooting dipped. And what what I think we've seen from them, and I want to keep seeing from them, is being able to win. They've learned how to win games when they're not playing well and they've learned how to win games when shots aren't falling and they didn't have to do that for the first couple of months of the year. So it was easy to kind of cruise. Um, and then it became a little bit of a shock to the system when the shots weren't falling, they didn't know necessarily how, what can we, what can we change on offense? How can we make this not affect our defense? You know, um, I think, a, I think a switch flipped with that thunder game where they gave up 150 points and they were just absolutely embarrassed. And they were like, Oh, right. You know, we have to actually try because everybody's going to be gunning for us now. And we have to we have to figure our shit out when it's not going well. That's how you win championships is you you steal games in playoffs where you really have no business winning. Um, and I think that that they've been showing that more these last couple of weeks with their improved defense, uh, with attacking the basket, um, with multiple efforts when they're struggling from shooting. All of those things, I think if they can keep that up, then they're. Like you guys said, they're going to be a really, really tough out in the playoffs. And and that's what I like to see is see these repetitions. You know, I don't mind that they lost a few games because it kind of taught them how to win when you're not playing well. 
Yeah. Excellent. Excellent points. And I agree. Yeah. There, something definitely did shift after that Thunder game. Everyone was talking about it. And I think that definitely stayed with them and made a big impact. Yeah. yeah. On the flip side, they started to lose after the Suns game. When they remember they, they blew out the Suns and every media was like, everyone in the national media was like, crown them, you know? Um, and I think it, there was this worry. I had this internal worry. I was like, oh, no, this is like, this is too good to be true. Everybody has now declared them, you know, the champions in the midseason already. So um, they needed that wake up call. And I think yeah. they kind of felt a little too high on themselves after just like blowing the doors off the suns in that game. Yeah. And it really was like a lack of sort of that defensive toughness and identity and sort of like, yeah, like you just got scored on, like get up and score and then stop them the next time. And there was some sloppy, sloppy defensive play. And even like the guard play where you would think, you know, your top end rotation of smart white Brogdon, you know, Jalen at the two, three, even Pritchard, like, those are all really good defenders. And there was just like lack of communication, lack of hustle, whatever it was. It's just like there were sloppy stretches and, you know, that rough patch. And, um, but yeah, I think that also that sort of uh, having a crash when expectations are high and having to like get back up in season uh, is helpful. And it is, you know, a new coach, um, a new sixth man um a new season right it's just like inherently going to be a bit of an adapt adaptation um so for them to come out super strong uh and then be able to weather this storm does really set them up well um and yeah i think outside of health right like the other thing that would be great to see is you know see this team really get to the top in defense of efficiency, you know, these key defense numbers, like they've been climbing a bit since Rob came back, but like they need to get them back up to top five and at least top 10, because they're still not going to be able to just shoot the lights out, especially in the playoffs every single game. And they are going to have to be, you know, as tough on defense as they seemingly now have gotten mentally and on offense and on drives like um they've had great stretches and great games but they're still like you know points are up they're still giving up a lot of points like their defense yeah. isn't where it needs to be so that's i think an obvious uh place where they need to just bring it together in the second half is make yeah. this a top 5d again you yeah. get the feeling that it's coming but that they haven't cemented their identity their de defensive identity in 2023. Go ahead, Corey. Oh, I was just saying that they have, they have, they're at number six right now in defensive rating. So they're, they're climbing, man. I, they're so they're climbing. I can see them being top three defensive rating by the end of the year, um, just based on how they're playing. Yeah. You get the feeling it's coming, like it's brewing, right? And then everything yeah. kind of needs to come together health, philosophy, energy. Um, but I, I agree. I think we've yet to see what, what they're, they're really capable of. 
And I think it's going to be better. I think the energy and the experience from last year, we talk about, they've only added to the players from last year and everyone's only better. So they're going to, you know, I think, I think it's going to be its own defensive unit. That's going to be really impressive. Well, that was actually one of my hot takes from the last episode was that they would be top. I think I said top five in both, but I think I said they would be top three, maybe even in both offensive and defensive rating. So definitely a chance, uh, definitely (laughs) a good chance. Um, But yeah, they're, I think no one was worried because, you know, having Rob out that whole initial stretch and him being such a key of what they do. Uh, but yeah, if they really bring that up to the top again, I think uh, only their own health and uh, their own internal turmoil could could derail them. But they look they look to be built to, you know, withstand both. And I think that's a great thing, too, is just. Like we were saying earlier, not having everyone healthy, um, you know, they're really deep and really just like ready to roll with what other whatever lineup they need to or, you know, have. And it's great to see, you know, Jalen in that Nets game uh, on the sideline, right on the bench, you know, in street clothes, but still just like yelling and joyful. And uh, there's a joy again to them that reminds me of like that infamous clip of everyone dancing where Marcus is like in the middle, like dancing and Jalen and it's right behind him. And uh, yeah, they seem to have really like held on to that and recaptured that through uh, the ups and downs of the season. So uh, hoping that they can keep that in the second half as well. And um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have anything else to add, but you know, that's a great, Probably a great note to leave it on. A lot of optimism, uh, a lot of, you know, just hoping they stay, get healthy, stay healthy. And um, yeah, we'll see if there's one, you know, surprise move or last move or even just like one surprising development, right? Which I think also, and I'll leave it here, um, I think could be just what ends up being the starting five going into the playoffs. Like it might not be the two big lineup with Rob and Al, but who knows? Cause they haven't been both healthy long enough to really know, but we could see a shift in that. And that might be sort of what the change is, is actually the starting five is shifted now. Awesome. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm good, Corey. We good. Yeah. I think, I think we got, we got everything. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for joining us for, this midseason check-in, temperature check, a lot to be optimistic about. I think it's going to be a great second half. I'm so excited to see what this 2023 Boston Celtics team can do. Just want to give a big, big thanks to CelticStrong.com, the number one fan forum on the internet for all things Boston Celtics. Thanks so much. Chat it in there. Get in there, chat it up, check it out. Thank you for being our hosts. Thank you to Corey for for joining us and for Eli for always bringing the knowledge. You know, we're not experts, but we are passionate Boston Celtics fans. So thanks, y'all, for listening. It's been another episode of Celtics Strong. This is Boston.